This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue on in James with more grace. Resist, if the Lord wills, warning to the rich, and patience in suffering. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Stanza two of the hymn, Lord of Our Life, speaking there about the fiery darts of our enemies. Well, the devil is real, our God is real, and we find ourselves in need of absolute deliverance from the devil's hostility toward us. We cannot withstand him, but we have a friend who has promised to deliver us and save us from the power of the devil. Welcome back to Issues Etc., coming to you live from the studios of Lutheran Public Radio in Collinsville, Illinois. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. It's time to look forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent. A lot of talk about the devil in this Sunday's propers. Pastor Will Whedon joins us. He's assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois, formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Todd. We've been walking through these Lenten Sundays, or these Sundays in Lent, and in the first Sunday, we were introduced to the idea that we have an enemy, Satan. Last week, it was, we have the best friend in the world, but he can appear to be an enemy. What about this Sunday? Yeah, thank you. So, Think about that first week. You have an enemy who likes to parade around like a friend, right, Satan? And then, of course, the second week, you have a friend who sometimes comes across to you like an enemy, reminiscere. But then this week, this week, this introduces us to the truth that between these two that we have been focusing on in the first two weeks, between these two, there is a fight. There is a struggle, and the struggle and fight that's going on is for your life. And that it's not a single one-time battle, but it's a battle that will rage through your entire existence right up to the moment of your death. So our hope in this battle is always to keep our eyes focused on the Lord, which is where the name of the day comes from. So here's how Lindemann put this in his wonderful little book on the propers. He says the propers, that means the variable texts for the Sunday that we're going to be reading in a few minutes, they appear to have been selected because this was the day in Lent of the renunciation and of the exorcism of the catechumens. This is the day that they would put it bluntly to them, do you renounce the devil? Yes. And all of his works? Yes. And all of his ways, yes. And there would be a prayer of exorcism. It would basically be a turning their backs on Satan and a renouncing of Satan and a praying for God to drive him out of these people's lives and keep him out. 
throughout this period of Lent, those outside of the kingdom are shown to be slaves of sin, enemies of God, allies of Satan. The need and process of release, the power of victory, the entrance into the kingdom, the requirements of allegiance to God are brought home in the teaching of the propers on this Sunday. The epistle shows a progression. The walk of the Christian is emphasized in each week. Something is added. Today is a warning. All the horrors of sin are pictured, to which the heart possessed by evil gives way. In contrast to that, walk as children of the light. The relentlessness of the enemy's opposition is driven home in the gospel for the day. And this Sunday is the call for unswerving allegiance, for tried and true loyalty to God. The response is motivated not by fear, but by love, by patriotism for the heavenly kingdom. Deliberately, the faithful count the cost and devotedly consecrate themselves to God. The intro, it gives the expression to this with, my eyes are ever to the Lord, he will pluck my feet out of the net. The collect sums up the whole aspiration of those who desire to walk worthily and not in their own strength. But they plead that the Father would look upon their every need and stretch forth the right hand of his majesty to help them. By the finger of the Lord, the demons are driven out. And that's Lindemann, a beautiful summary of the thoughts for the day and understanding what this day is. So this is the day of choice. Are you siding with the, the guy who likes to parade around as your friend? Are you going to side with the guy that sometimes treats you in a way that makes you wonder if he's your friend, but he is your true and dearest friend and who finally comes through for you in the end? Which one are you going to side with today? You had mentioned there via Lindemann the intro, which is from Psalm 25, and selected verses there, but it begins, my eyes are ever toward the Lord. Yeah, from which the day Oakley is named. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. He will pluck my feet out. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies, meaning especially the demons, the demon forces and Satan, let them not exalt over me. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. Amen. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I'm lonely and afflicted. In this antiphon and in the text of the psalm, you definitely have the answer that the church gives when it's confronted with, you're going to go with Satan or you're going to go with God. This is the church's answer. We're going with God. We are sticking with him. Our eyes are fixed on him. He is the one we turn to. He's the only one that can help us out of this mess that we have made. How does the collect read? Okay, I'm going to be grumpy again. Sorry, guys. The LSB has a novel collect here. It goes, O God, whose glory it is always to have mercy, be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. It's a fine collect. I'm not sure why they thought that they needed to bump the collect of the day, which actually is a perfect match for the readings. Listen to the traditional collect. We beseech the Almighty God, 
Look upon the hearty desires of thy humble servants and stretch forth the right hand of thy majesty to be our defense against all our enemies. Through Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Lord, who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Ghost, ever one God, world without end. I think that stretch forth your right hand, be our defense against our enemies, grabs hold of the recognition that when we renounce Satan and make him be our enemy, we have a foe that is so far beyond our ability to deal with that we have only one hope. We can renounce him, but we have to keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Then we turn to him and beg for his mercy and his nonstop defense of our lives as we live our lives here in, what was it called in the in World War II? Do you remember, Todd, uh, the the fifth column, that's what they called it. Like, you know, the people who were traitors, right? We're traitors to Satan living here in the territory. You know, he's marked out as his own, the, the, the God of this world, as Paul calls him. And, and we live here with an allegiance now given somewhere else. Well, he's hunting us down. He wants us wiped out. And so we pray constantly that we would be defended against the, um, the, 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 the snares of the enemy who is waiting to drag us back to allegiance to him and to his fallen cause. The Old Testament reading presents us with a choice, as is apparently the one-year lectionaries want during Lent. You can go the path of Exodus 8 or of Jeremiah 26. Yeah, let's, let's think about each one of them. Uh, in, in Exodus 8, uh, you're going to see the connection to the gospel reading itself. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. The magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else. If you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also the ground on which they stand. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell, so that no swarms of flies shall be there. Then you will know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came great swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined. By the swarms of flies. Okay, the connection to the gospel here is actually twofold. First of all, you have this expression about the finger of God. Up until this moment, the Egyptians, by their dark arts, had been able to mimic the genuine miracles that were done by Aaron at the command of Moses. And they reach this point with this creation of life that they cannot pull it off. 
They cannot, Satan cannot create life out of nothing. He cannot take dust and turn it into actual living creatures. But the God of life, he has no problem doing that. And at his command and through his instruments, Moses and Aaron, this is what happens. And so the magicians fall back and they're like, whoa, this is the hand of God. This is the real deal. We can't even begin to, to, to come close to this. And so they tell Pharaoh basically back down because this is the real thing. This is not us. This is something we could never do. And Pharaoh hard-heartedly refuses to do so. The second connection is the mention of the flies and how God divides the land and doesn't have the flies infest his people in the land of Goshen. So there is, number one, a division that's going to take place between those who go with the idolatry of Egypt and those who heed the word of the Lord. And that kind of division is going to be seen. It's going to be clear between these two. And in the gospel reading, of course, the title that they give to Jesus is he's the Lord of the flies or the Lord of dung. Like picture flies covering dung. And this title is evoked by the flies. They're accusing Jesus of being on the side of Satan. And this is what the catechumens of the church have to make up their mind on. Are they going to side with Satan on this? Or are they going to side with Jesus? Because if they're going to side with Jesus, there's going to be a different kind of a life. It's going to be a life not infested by the flies. It's going to be a constant fight against them, but they're not going to, the flies there being like a picture of the demons. The second reading as an option is actually from Jeremiah 26, as you mentioned. In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord all the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. It may be they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster that I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me, to walk in my law that I have set before you and to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I sent to you urgently, though you have not listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. The priests and the prophets and all the people heard Jeremiah speaking these words in the house of the Lord. And when Jeremiah had finished speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him, saying, You shall die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying, This house shall be like Shiloh, and this city shall be desolate without inhabitant? And all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord. When the officials of Judah heard these things, they came up from the king's house to the house of the Lord and took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. Then the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, This man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. Then Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, saying, The Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words that you have heard. Now, therefore, mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord your God. And the Lord will relent of the disaster that he has pronounced against you. But as for me, behold, I am in your hands." 
do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves and upon this city and its inhabitants. For in truth, the Lord sent me to speak all these words in your ears. It's a gutsy passage where you really have to admire Jeremiah for standing up. I mean, he is not going to back down. And he just presents as the Lord had given him to present this alternative. You're going to do it God's way or you're going to face destruction. That's the way it's going to be. Whose side are you on? That's what he is sent to proclaim to the people of Judah there. And it's clear the Lord's heart is mercy. He doesn't want his people to be destroyed like this. But they stubbornly refuse to hear the word which Jeremiah was sent to speak to them, even proposing to, uh, as they say, kill the messenger for bringing the word to them. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We're looking forward to Sunday morning, according to the one-year lectionary. We will get to the gradual and several choices on a psalm next. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we continue on in James with more grace. Resist, if the Lord wills, warning to the rich, and patience in suffering. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Luther Academy provides additional theological education for our mission partners around the world, specifically pastors who are asking for additional education but do not have the necessary resources in their own church bodies. By donating to Luther Academy today, you will be supplying food, housing, books, professors, and travel for Lutheran pastors who attend our conferences. To learn more about Luther Academy and how you can donate today, visit lutheracademy.com. LutherAcademy.com. Old theology, new technology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Memoria Press's award-winning curriculum is used by homeschoolers all over the world. Their classical Christian education materials provide everything you need for kindergarten through 12th grade, including books, guides, lesson plans, and instructional videos. If you're interested in learning more, visit them at memoriapress.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Memoria Press, saving Western civilization one student at a time. This is Pastor Van Maren of Peace Lutheran Church, the confessional alternative congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Synod here in South Lakeland, Florida at peacelutheranlakeland.com. We invite you to join us at 10 o'clock Sunday for divine service to receive Christ and his gifts of life, hope, and salvation. Again, we're online at peacelutheranlakeland.com. Thank you, and God's blessings. back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to Sunday morning. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest. Will, we come to the gradual for this coming Sunday, and then there are two choices of a psalm, but first the gradual from Psalm 9. Yeah, the gradual from Psalm 9 is really beautiful. Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you when my enemies turn back. They stumble and perish before your presence. Again, you sense this this conflict between the world under the rule of Satan and the Christian 
who is being called to live under the kingdom of heaven here in this world. And the cry is that the Lord would rescue his people living in such a dangerous situation and that he would not allow the enemies to prevail over them, but drive them back instead. The constant recognition is that salvation is going to have to come from God or it's not coming from anywhere. Then the Psalms. Again, two options. The uh, antiphon from Psalm 136, verse 26, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. Reminder there, who's the God of heaven? That's the one that we are seeking to serve. And then Psalm 136 is, of course, that great antiphonal psalm. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. That's the constant theme. His steadfast love endures forever. I'm not going to read all the way through it, but it goes through and speaks about the conflict in Egypt. If you're reading the first reading and you're reading about the confrontation between Moses and Pharaoh, this is the psalm to choose. The moon and the stars, that he is the one who who governs the entire created universe and then specifically zeroing down on the history of salvation. He brought Israel out from among them. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt. He rescued them. He divided the Red Sea in two and led Israel through. And all of this over and over again, because his steadfast love endures forever. Beautiful psalm. Alternatively, if you're reading the Jeremiah passage, the gorgeous words of Psalm 4, verses 1 to 8, the promise at the end, in peace I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety, is the antiphon that sort of brackets the psalm. Then, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned to shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. There's the tie into the theme of the day, too. The Lord sets apart the godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So depending on which of the Old Testament readings you use, which of the Psalms you use would be uh, matching that, or the gradual fits for all of the readings. What is the Ephesians 5, 1 through 9 epistle? How does it fit for this Sunday? As we heard Lindemann sort of indicate at the beginning, this is paints the stark difference between the way of the children of the world and the way of the children of God. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints or holy ones. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. 
Therefore, do not be partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. You see, again, there are two camps. You're going to be in the one or in the other. And don't lie to yourself and say that, oh, I'm actually in the Lord's camp when you are totally living in the world's camp and giving yourself up to the ways of the world and to the ways of Satan. This is a real call for a division between the way of the people of God who walk in the love which Christ has given us by his sacrifice or the way of the world who simply are in for whatever they can get a pleasure out of life and nothing more. The tract has us back on the theme of eyes yeah. with a different psalm. Yeah, a different psalm, but the same point is like, where are you focused? Where are your eyes? So to you, I lift up my eyes. O oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he have mercy on us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. Eyes constantly on the Lord as the only source from which salvation is going to come. We do not have the inner resources to win this battle. If we're going to be delivered from the clutches of Satan and his demons, this is going to be accomplished by the Lord himself as he sends forth his word and heals us. This is Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're looking forward to the third Sunday in Lent. According to the one-year lectionary, our guest is Pastor Will Whedon, author of the book Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. You can purchase these books on the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House, 1-800-325-3040. When we come back, the gospel reading from Luke 11, beginning at verse 14. can support the worldwide outreach of Issues Etc. by purchasing a cell phone case from Crossway, crossweh.com slash LPR. You'll find cell phone cases for Issues Etc., Lutheran Public Radio, The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, and Luther's Seal with the Reformation Solas, crossweh.com slash LPR. A percentage of your purchase will support Issues Etc., Cross weh.com slash LPR. The characteristic mark of hope is that it always looks into the future. So says Herman Zasse in the March issue of the Lutheran Witness, which is all about hope and overcoming the quiet despair with which we are so in danger of being overcome in these days. To find out more about hope, what Christian hope looks like, and what it means to be a hopeful community, pick up your copy of the March issue of the Lutheran Witness. Visit cph.org witness or witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. Not everyone is comfortable with new technology. Dial A Podcast gives all generations of your congregation an easy way to hear your sermons or even devotionals and Bible studies. Once you've completed a simple one-time setup, we take care of the rest. All your congregants have to do is dial the number from any phone to listen to your latest podcast, all at no additional cost to them. Dial A Podcast. Extend the reach of your sermons. Get started at dialapodcast.com now.
Hey, young adults, are you finding it harder and harder to meet and connect with other Lutheran men and women? Join us at University Lutheran Church in Champaign, Illinois, on Saturday, April 6th for the Martin Plus Katie Conference. We'll talk about being men and women in Christ, meet new friends, get to know each other, and have fun. Register at martinpluskatie.org. That's M-A-R-T-I-N-P-L-U-S-K-A-T-I-E.org. Registration closes on Palm Sunday. You can teach lay people theology. You're listening to Issues Etc. Issues Etc. guest Dr. Ben Mays of Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Here's what Martin Luther says about the pastoral office. My pastor is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, preserves peace and unity, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. We are calling good men to step up. Come to Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Learn more about studying for the vocation of pastor at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Pastor Will Whedon of The Word of the Lord Endures Forever is our guest as we look forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary, the third Sunday in Lent. So we come to the Gospel reading, which is Luke chapter 11, beginning at verse 14. Yeah, and remembering all that we've just sort of done setting the context, I think you can hear how this Gospel reading actually sort of holds together the themes that we've encountered already for this day. So verse 14. Now, He was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He cast out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, It passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than 
the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Let's work through that. It seems like it's a disjointed passage, but it really ties together beautifully. The marvel of the crowds, uh, when Jesus, you know, he cast out the demon, it was mute. When it went out, the man began to speak, the crowds marvel. That is a feature of Mark's gospel, but it does appear occasionally in all the synoptics as it does here in Luke. And this is Jesus' proper work. For this reason, the Son of God appeared to destroy the work of the devil, 1 John 3, verse 8. As Luther would put it, wherever Christ's kingdom is, his wondrous work continues, causing the dumb to speak, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. When Christ came into the flesh, he said his work going, but it continues in Christendom day for day till the end of the world. For this task, Christ left us designated instruments, holy baptism, the blessed sacrament, the word and absolution, and whatever else belongs to the ministry of preaching in order to enable us to destroy the devil's kingdom and to take from him his captives and cast him out of people. I mean, Luther is 100% running with the way this Sunday in Lent sets up the conflict between the two camps and that here the church is engaged in continuing this work which Christ himself has begun, which he continues to do through her. Verse 15, some said he cast out demons by Beelzebul or Beelzebub, the prince of demons, while others to test him kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. So obviously Beelzebul is like a derisive term for Satan as the leader of the prince among the fallen demons. Luther hears in it a term, well, he hears it like this. They think they're saints so great and filled with the Holy Spirit that they call the devil, yes, even the prince of the devils, not a mighty, powerful spirit as scripture describes him, but an impotent fly. He hears in the term derision for Satan and the way that they speak about him. And it's interesting that they sought from him a sign from heaven. And the pericope concludes, this passage concludes, with a reference to the Blessed Virgin, who is, of course, the great sign mentioned in Isaiah 7, 14. Powerful. Verse 17. But he, knowing their thoughts, said, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. St. Jerome said of this, the Pharisees ascribed the works of God to the prince of the demons, and the Lord makes answer not to what they said, but to what they thought that even thus they might be compelled to believe his power, who saw the secrets of their heart. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said to them. That's powerful. Luther comments again, Christ himself testifies that Satan is a king with a kingdom, a very united kingdom, tightly held together, so that whoever provokes one devil provokes them all. Whoever attacks one attacks them all. Satan is not divided against himself. And in this, we should take comfort and also learn well that a Christian stance is not a matter of child's play because there's a strong kingdom against us. And every moment, we are in constant danger were it not that God stands by us with his grace. 
boy, no one came close to Luther in his assessment of the danger which Satan continually is posing to the human race. I say no one, but I mean, it's like he takes the Lord Jesus so seriously as the Lord Jesus teaches about this. I don't think since the time of the New Testament, anyone has has nailed it as closely as, as Luther had. So prayer becomes the constant uh, weapon that the Christian uses against the devil because he doesn't have the strength in his own. The Christian turns to the Lord and invokes his strength and help. If Satan is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. Well, the point is that the devil's kingdom is really anything but divided. Read the newspapers. Check out social media. There's no way Satan has taken to imitating the way Christians treat each other in the way he treats his minions. You know, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you're not consumed by one another, Galatians 5. Well, Satan has his army completely under his will and control, and they are fixated on his goal of separating us from our creator. That is one thing that they are focused on and they do not shift from that. Jesus is like, it doesn't look like he's a divided kingdom, does it? It looks like they're quite unified. And then he asks, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Let them be your judges. Of course, Josephus mentions the presence of Jewish exorcists and uh, so does the New Testament, Acts 19, verses 13 to 16. But if it's by the finger of God, that I'm driving out the demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Because in the parallel text, Jesus speaks of casting out demons by the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12, verse 18. The finger of God then refers to the Holy Spirit, where elsewhere in Scripture, like in our Old Testament reading, and also at the giving of the law, we have the finger of God doing his work. The driving out of the demons from human hearts announces in and of itself that the time for the kingdom has arrived. The real king, he's shown up here in this conquered territory and he is revealing himself and driving out the evil spirit who would rule in human hearts. He drives him out and that shows that the real king is here. When a strong man fully armed guards his palace, his goods are safe, (laughs) or so he thinks. Verse 22, but when a stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor, which he trusted, and divides the spoil. So, you know, if Satan is the strong man, and he is, he's very strong, Jesus is stronger than he. He has come to attack Satan in the house where he's taken up residence, that is, in human hearts and human lives, to overcome him and take away the armor in which he's trusting, that is to expose his lies and his deceits for being lies and deceits. And that's how he frees captives and divides the spoil. Zechariah had sung, through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from the hand of our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Well, that's primarily a reference to these evil spirits. Jesus adds, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. Kind of the opposite of the saying which Jesus spoke to the sons of thunder when they reported that they'd heard about a man driving out demons in Jesus' name, and they forbade him, saying, hey, you're not following us. Don't be doing that. And on that occasion, Jesus said, the one who is not against us is for us. Notice the difference between the us and the me, though. Gather with me calls to mind John's comment on Caiaphas' property, a prophecy. He prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, 
but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. This gathering takes place by the preaching of the word of the gospel and the use of the sacraments. As the uh, solid declaration puts it, the Father does not intend to draw apart from means. Instead, he has preordained his word and sacraments as the regular means and instruments of drawing people to himself. And then Jesus adds these mysterious words. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and finding none. It says, I'll return to my house from which I came. So here Jesus warns of the huge danger driving Satan forth from a human host. He can return. And when he returns, he brings greater strength than before. 25. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. The text here does not say empty. That's in a parallel text. But at very least, the house is not defended. There's nothing to prevent Satan from taking over again. So then he goes and he brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter into all there. And the last state of that person is absolutely worse than the first. Better one devil than seven? What's your name? Legion, for we are many. One cannot but help think of the grave sin we take upon ourselves when we baptize little children that we know are not going to be brought up in the Christian faith. We set children on a path that's worse than anything we can imagine without the Lord's taking up continual residence in them through the word and the sacraments. What good is the initial driving of Satan out? Baptism is meant to be for a whole life. It's not just meant to be for a moment. It's not just some nice ceremony that Christian parents do to make themselves feel better. It is not merely some sort of a get-out-of-hell-free card. It is the advent into that life of the Lord Jesus. But that is an advent then that needs to be constantly nurtured through the Word and through later the reception of the sacrament. And where that doesn't take place, we are in danger of, of really putting the children at a greater risk than they were before we gave them the baptism itself. It's something that we really should think deeply about. Verse 27, as Jesus said all these things, this woman raises her voice in the crowd and cries out, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Well, this is Luke's gospel and uh, Mary, she's loomed large in the gospel from the start. When Elizabeth pronounced Mary blessed, she got the reason right. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was told her by the Lord. But the Holy Virgin is not merely blessed in being the physical mother of Jesus, and that's why he responds as he does. Blessed are those, rather, who hear the word of God and keep it. It's not putting down his mother. It is extolling Mary for the right thing. Luke made sure that the one thing we knew about Mary was that she kept all these words and pondered them in her heart, right? She's the one who keeps the word of God. Is the whole thing, though, a bit of an abrupt switch to Mary? No, because we've just been speaking of the importance of the house being defended against the return of the devil and his company. This defending takes place in one way, and in one way only, by the word actually living within us and us living in it, hearing it, keeping it. For if anyone loves me and he will keep my word, my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home in him. John 14, verse 23. Mary's the preeminent example of such a one. The text then vividly informs the new catechumens and reminds us old catechumens, remembering the first of the 95 Thesis, 
that showing the devil the door is only the first step, a necessary step, a true beginning, but only a beginning. The important thing is for the fulfillment of Isaiah's great sign to be enfleshed in us. Emmanuel, God with us. So no room for the devil's crew. I mean, I don't know how you picture it, Todd, but I kind of picture it like when the devil comes knocking on the door, I need to be able to turn and say, Lord Jesus, would you mind answering that? Let him confront the devil. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. We are looking forward to Sunday morning according to the one-year lectionary. We'll talk a little bit more about those waterless places next. How did God address the Gentile nations through the prophet Isaiah? What is God's message to his own people regarding both judgment and consolation? And how does Isaiah's divine message apply to us today? Find out in the new Concordia Commentary on Isaiah, chapters 13 through 27. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for February, the Concordia Commentary on Isaiah 13 through 27. Join Lutherans for Life at the For Such a Time as This Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston, Texas. Enjoy the testimony and talents of Dove Award winning musician and adoptee Mark Schultz. Discover expert information and exciting opportunities, and experience the fellowship and celebration. The 2024 Lutheran Adoption Conference, April 10th and 11th in Houston. Find out more and register at lutheransforlife.org conferences. Casting Christ's net on the internet. You're listening to Issues Etc. Vacation Land greets visitors with a sign, the way life should be. Each year, Redeemer Lutheran Church welcomes visitors to participate in the way life should be as it is lived from the means of grace. Another sign bids visitors farewell. Worth a visit, worth a lifetime. Christ's life sacrificed for you was worth it. Whether a visitor or a resident in southern Maine, you will find a home, rest, and forgiveness of sins in Gorham and Sanford, Maine. RedeemerMaine.org Our Christian faith is under constant attack, and we must be proactive in keeping our children in the church. At Faith Lutheran School in Plano, Texas, we believe that an education rooted in God's Word is one that stands against the very gates of hell. Nothing in this world is more important. Offering a rigorous classical Lutheran education, we provide in-person and live online remote learning opportunities for preschool through grade 12. To learn more, visit flsplano.org, flsplano.org. Confessional Lutherans are invited to rent a four-bedroom, three-bathroom Table Rock lakefront home in the Ozarks. Table Rock Lake is a premier lake in the heart of the Ozarks for boating, water sports, and fishing. This log cabin-style rental sleeps 12 and is 30 minutes from Branson and 20 minutes from Silver Dollar City. Learn more by calling Swanson Estates, 713-855-2681. Be sure to mention Issues Etc., 713 713- Eight five five twenty six eighty one. Ad Crucem is an online Christian greeting card, jewelry, art, ornament, and gift shop. 
Check out their Christ-centered, high-quality gifts at adcrucem.com, A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M.com. We're looking forward to the third Sunday in Lent. According to the one-year lectionary, Pastor Will Whedon is our guest. Well, I want to return to those words of Jesus, waterless places. If I recall correctly, maybe a sermon or a class, the sainted Dr. Norman Nagel of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, I remember him saying that this is a reference to baptism, that the devil flees from the waters of baptism. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's a beautiful insight. It's one which Dr. Nagel stole wholeheartedly from Tertullian, and he knew it. He always had us read that Tertullian passage about the water, you know. Little fish, stay in the water. He can't get you if you're in the water. So the longer we live in our baptism, as we live in, in the waters and the promise of God that he's made us there in those waters, we are in a place where Satan actually can't get his claws in. But that's something that a Christian has to learn constantly through their use of the word and to the use of the sacrament of the altar as we can, you know, life itself becomes this joyous return and living in baptism. And then indeed, you are Satan-proof when you are living inside of the joys of your baptism, clinging to that word, returning to it again and again. Yeah, I love that insight from Nagel. I remember him doing that in class too. It's one of the features of, and not only an idiosyncrasy of, of Luther's theology, you had mentioned what a present reality the devil was for Luther yeah. in the way he thought about these things, something that has been lost. We've kind of given that up to maybe the charismatics or the Pentecostals or to more fringe Protestant groups. And we Lutherans have kind of become shy about discussing the reality of Satan as our enemy because we don't want to sound like those groups anymore. But Luther had no problem with it. No problem at all. Yeah, I mean, you can sort of see that move happening even in well, in our beloved hymnal from the mid-century and the 20th century, the Lutheran hymnal, there were several places where they kind of sort of stepped on the uh, or altered the text of the hymns. I'm thinking of the hymn, Non Ruin Alavelder, Now Rest Beneath Night Shadow, and Lord Jesus, who dost love me, O spread thy wings above me and shield me from alarm. Though Satan would devour me, let angel guards sing o'er me, this child of God shall meet no harm. I think in the TLH that was, though evil would devour me, let angel guards sing o'er me. It's like, wait a minute, it's not just evil. It's a very personal evil. It's Satan, though Satan would devour me. Yeah, I think you saw a recovery of that then in Lutheran service book where you have much more language about confronting Satan directly. I mean, think about him like Jesus has come and brings pleasure eternal. Satan, you wicked one, own now your master. Yeah, we need to have that bold confront, uh, confrontation with Satan in our lives and to teach our people. This is not just something that happens on the day of baptism, not just something that you renew on the day of your confirmation. This is something which Christians need to do every single day. We need to be able to stand and recognize I'm in the army of the Lord. I stand against Satan and against the demons. I'm standing with the Lord of love who conquers by his loving sacrifice. That is the pattern my life shall have, not the way of the demons that would promise me everything in the world if I go their way and do it their way, do their thing, do my own thing, please myself. Instead, my prayer must be, thy will be done with the one who is in Gethsemane and who is preparing to go to Calvary and who on Calvary triumphs over evil forever and is raised from the dead to give us that life. Are we missing an opportunity to speak the truth in the midst of a world of lies, Satan's lies ultimately? Because the examples of the demonic are practically screaming in our faces yeah. in the world around us. And 
if we refuse to talk about the demonic and to speak biblically about those realities, we're not calling a thing what it is. No, right. And, and, and certainly the, the man who helped us get this and understand what, what the issues really are was C.S. Lewis when he wrote the Screwtape Letters. And he wrote it at a time when it was, you know, we were at the high point of people wanting to deny the reality of the evil spirits in their lives. And he shows, no, this is what they're up to. Let me unmask them. He said it was the hardest thing he ever wrote, right? Because he says, you know, it's terrible dealing with the devil and, and facing up to it. But that is exactly what he describes in that book. And if you haven't read it, if any of our readers haven't read it, I mean, you can get it as an audible book and just listen to it. It is a, an astounding insight into the demonic world from their perspective, what they're after, and what they're after is so clearly revealed in this gospel reading, that they're after retaking possession of the house that they're in danger of losing or that they have lost. They want to win it back. They want that human host. They do not want to be driven out into the waterless places. What would you show us from the hymns that are set before us in this coming Sunday? The hymn of the day, of course, is Lord of Our Life. I am written at the sad time when Christians in Europe were slaughtering each other, but it shows the absolute reliance that we must have upon God himself. Listen to these words, Lord of our life and God of our salvation, star of our night and hope of every nation, hear and receive your church's supplication, Lord God Almighty. See round your ark the hungry billows curling. See how your foes, their banners are unfurling. And with great spite, their fiery darts are hurling. O Lord, preserve us. Lord, be our light when worldly darkness avails us. Lord, be our shield when earthly armor fails us. And in the day when hell itself assails us, grant us your peace, Lord. Peace in our hearts where sinful thoughts are raging. Peace in your church, our troubled souls assuaging. Peace when the world, its endless war, is waging peace in your heaven. This is a hymn of an embattled church, a hymn of the Christian who knows that he's part of the Militia Christi, and we're part of the, um, the army of the Lord, and we're being assaulted, and we cry to the only one who can give us what we need to strengthen us in this battle and to make it through the gift of his saving peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church in Hamill, Illinois. Formerly served as director of worship for the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. He's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Pray, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. And he hosts the daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study produced by Lutheran Public Radio called The Word of the Lord Endures Forever. Will, thanks. Thank you so much, Todd. Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll continue our classical Christian worship series with Dr. Arthur Just. We'll have Dr. Reed Lessing lead us in a teaching on the book of Zechariah and the season of Lent. That is the reality for us here on this side of the resurrection. We are at war, but at the same time, we are at peace with God through Jesus Christ. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. 
Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio. College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, offers ACT, SAT, and PSAT test prep, scholarship application classes, college and career counseling, and more. Hi, this is Lori Konsky, president of College Preparation Station. We have helped our students obtain more than $7 million in tuition scholarships in 12 years. Find out more at cpsprep.com. Let us help you create a vision and find your future. The College Preparation Station in Maryville, Illinois, cpsprep.com. Jesus the Good Shepherd says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. We invite you to join us as we listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd and follow him who gives us eternal life. Sunday worship services at 9 a.m., Sunday school and Bible class at 1030, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church, Arnold, Missouri, on the web at goodshepherdarnold.org. That's goodshepherdarnold.org.